Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, it's a diode. It is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and a great week since the last time that we got together. I really enjoyed mine, so I thought I would take this episode just to talk all about Thanksgiving. And really, there's a lot of food talk in here, but there's a lot of other stuff that we did. So go ahead and grab a cuppa and join me for this post-Thanksgiving review, I guess. <laughs> so every year for Thanksgiving, we go to Ojai. My cousin Sydney has this amazing property. It's got two backyards, a giant chicken coop, and a bunch of fruit trees. I mean, she's got blood oranges and navel oranges and mandarins, grapefruit, lemon, there's a pear tree way in the back. I didn't go and look at that this time around. She also has a persimmon tree. I brought home a bunch of persimmons and I am so excited. There is a recipe, look it up. It is the James Beard persimmon bread recipe. Just pop that in if you like persimmon bread. It is so delicious and I'm dying to make it. So the ones that she has, you do have, there's two different kinds of persimmons. You have to use the ones that are called hachiya. They're teardrop shaped. And then there's the other ones, I forget what they're called, but they're more like tomato shaped. So she has the hachiya ones and the hachiya ones, you need to let them get really soft. And then you use the pulp to make this bread. You can also take that pulp and freeze it so that you can make bread at a later time. But this bread is so good. And these persimmons are not ready yet. So um, hopefully by Christmas time, she has a fig tree and that one got trimmed while I was there because there were some branches that were diseased, I guess. They had holes going through them and so the wood wasn't all that great. And I have a fig tree here and the base of the trunk is really two trunks. It's like a V and one of the V's when you touch it, it rocks back and forth. And I think this is something that is inherent to fig trees. And I had another one out there and one day just kind of fell over and maybe it had a hollow trunk, but it was so full of fruit and um, it was really heartbreaking. So anyway, Sydney's will probably be around for a super long time. Uh, what else does she have? She's got a fejoa. I'm not sure that I'm saying that right, but it's very similar to a guava. So great jam with that. An olive tree. And I'm sure I'm missing something, but you get the idea. It's really big. And to me, it is a little slice of heaven to just be able to go and spend time with family and cook and make crafts and laugh and just get away from the busyness of life, you know. 
I've been going to Ojai since I was a little kid because we had a lot of family that lived there. Sydney's the only one that still lives in Ojai. But there's something about Ojai, like as soon as I get there, my soul feels like I am home. And it just, it just really is a very special place to me. And so when we're there, we just do simple but meaningful things, you know, which usually means that as soon as we walk in, I start unpacking, somebody makes a cocktail, and we get to cooking and catching up. And so this year, as usual, I was responsible for the charcuterie board. I love making charcuterie boards or grazing boards, but there's a lot that goes onto these boards. And I also am normally responsible for one of the vegetables. So I made a green bean casserole this year from scratch. It was so good. And for the day after Thanksgiving, we were getting together with some of our other cousins that camped out at Lake Casitas, which is right there in Ohio as well. I made a harvest quinoa salad. So I did something a little bit different this year. Like normally I'm freaking out that I'm going to forget something at home, even if I bought it. Because what I will do is I will have one big bag that has everything that is cold in it. And then I'll have another big bag that has everything that doesn't require refrigeration, right? So it's all mixed up. It's all a jumble in there. And you hope that you got everything in there. And so I don't know why it took me so long to come up with this system. And I'm sure that some of you are already like three steps ahead of me on this. But I was really pleased with how I managed the ingredients this year. Because, you know, traveling with ingredients for a recipe can be a little stressful. You know, like I said, you don't want to forget anything at home or worse like you get there and you realize you bought that ingredient that you never used but needed for a recipe and left it in the refrigerator and now you have to buy another one of it and try to figure out how to use up the one that you left at home when you get back so I grabbed the recipe for the green bean casserole and then I wrote out all of the ingredients that I needed for the charcuterie board and then I packed by recipe this time around. So I put all of the items for the green bean casserole that didn't need to go in the refrigerator into one of those reusable grocery sacks and then the ones that went in the fridge I put those in a paper sack just for the green beans. And then I did the same thing for the other two recipes. So on Wednesday morning, when we were heading out, all I had to do was grab the bag in the fridge and pair it up with the bag that was on the counter and then slip the recipe cards into each one of those. So I had three bags. I mean, it kind of was a little bit more bag wise, but I think it worked out really well because all of the ingredients were there. I could go down the recipe list and check everything off and then put the card in there and it was ready to go when I got to Sydney's house. And I have to tell you about the salad because it was so good. It's an autumn harvest salad that I made for the lake. And it's just full of so many delicious and filling things. And it lasts forever in the fridge. So it's one of those meals that you can make like on a Sunday and have it all week long for lunch if it lasts that long. And um, I'll post it on my Instagram, but basically it's quinoa 
maple roasted butternut squash. Those are the only two things that you have to cook and um, then let them kind of cool off because you could serve this warm too. Um, it's fine cold, but I think it's better warm. And then you're adding diced apples and feta cheese and candied pecans and Kalamata olives and red onions and some chives and some parsley. And then you're making this really amazing, but super simple dressing that's just avocado oil, garlic, maple syrup, fresh lemon juice and salt and pepper. And it's delicious. I mean, it is just so good. <laughs> and now that I'm talking about it, I'm realizing that I made this salad and I forgot to dress it. You know, like here I am being super organized about these bags and stuff, but I pre-made the dressing because that's that'll last forever too. So that's really easy to make. But the bottle that I put it in was too tall for the shelf that I put everything else on. So I took it out and I tucked it into the door. And this is the stuff like it's just a lot to remember. And I can't believe I did that. Oh, my God. Anyway, hopefully everybody liked it because we didn't really have a whole lot of time. We got there a bit late and driving from Ojai, you know, back to Los Angeles is a little bit of a haul. So we left the salad behind and um, I guess I'll I'll have to <laughs> find out what everybody thought of it because it didn't have one of the key ingredients. But those other ingredients, they're so flavorful on their own that it was it was probably okay. So I was in charge of all of those things. My cousin Gina is in charge of the turkey and the stuffing and the gravy. I mean, if it has anything to do with the turkey, it's in her wheelhouse. And so this year she went all out. She made a few beautiful loaves of bread and used some for the stuffing. And I'm really glad that there was enough left for me to have a slice slathered with butter, of course, but it was so good. It was like buying bread directly from a boulangerie. It was outstanding. And her prep for all of this was really organized as well. So every year, she also carves the turkey. So after she slices it all up, she puts those bones and any other pieces of meat into a big freezer safe bag. And it goes directly into the freezer to become the following year's gravy. So there's absolutely no waste. And she met her goal, of course, to minimally make one gallon of gravy. And that sounds like a lot. Um, I think we had like 20 people, but there really wasn't very much gravy at the end of the meal. So um, one gallon was perfect for that amount of people. I think she had said she read somewhere that she should have had like one and a half gallons. So maybe she'll have that next year because we had two turkeys this time around. One of them was fried in peanut oil. It was a deep fried turkey, but they always get some sort of special treatment from Gina. So she usually starts several days ahead brining and seasoning and she'll either balantine the turkey or she'll spatchcock it and to balantine now I'm telling you this stuff is so hard because she balantined one year and the following I think for Christmas I said I was going to balantine a turkey and it was really funny. My son Cameron was here and he was helping me. And right in the middle of it, he's like, I don't understand how serial killers chop up bodies because I can barely get this turkey done. And it's true. It's a total workout doing it. And um, so to Ballantine them, you're removing the breasts 
from the turkey and you're going to butterfly them. And I remember I butterflied them all the way through and turned them into a long strip by overlapping the ends a little bit. And then you're going to fill that with force meat, which is usually like sausage. And then you roll it up and you tie it in that beautiful butcher type pattern. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it looks really pretty. And then you cook it. And it is such a beautiful presentation and it really renders like this moist, flavorful breast meat. And then the rest of the turkey is cooked on separate sheets. So with everything separated, you know, you can pull out the parts that cook faster and nothing get, nothing dries out. And then you've got these beautiful medallions because you're going to cut it into coins basically. And it just is a really pretty plate. Spatchcocking does the same thing in terms of even cooking because the turkey stays in one piece. So what you're doing is you're removing the backbone, forcing the breast flat, and now you've got one big flat turkey that you're baking instead of this big round thing that ends up not cooking evenly. That's what we had this year and it was really super good. And I realized that I've spatchcocked chickens for years too, but not until this year did I realize that that was the official term. I've just always called it chicken under a brick. And I got it from a cooking show like back in the 90s. I was all into cooking shows and Martha Stewart and all of that kind of stuff back then. So this lady spatchcocks a chicken and once flat, she seasons it on both sides and she puts some garlic and rosemary and lemon slices under the skin. And then the whole chicken goes out to a hot grill and you put a sheet pan on top of it and lay a brick on it so that it's really flat and it gets cooked really evenly. And it is incredibly delicious, especially if you're putting wood chips in the fire, it cooks quickly, it's really juicy, it's so good. So I suppose if you have a big enough grill, you can grill the turkey the same way, but ours was cooked in the oven and it was beyond delicious. Um, Gina's secret to getting the crispy skin is to, I guess, cure the turkey. She leaves it in the refrigerator uncovered for a few days and it really helps that there is a second fridge out there. So that's where everything that is in preparation goes. So there's a fridge that is used by everybody in the kitchen and then there's this other fridge that's out back so it's not constantly being opened. And then I made most of the green bean casserole on Wednesday and stored that in the spare fridge as well. So on Thursday while the turkey was going, I put the charcuterie board together. And then once the turkey came out, the green beans went in along with all of the other things that needed to go in, you know, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese and sweet potatoes. And Sophia made an apple bourbon bunt cake with hard sauce that was really delicious. And then during this time, we also have a yearly craft because everybody needs to stay busy, right? While everything's coming together in the kitchen. So in September, we came up with this idea of painting wine bottles and putting fairy lights in them. So I hit up my friends for their empties and I ended up with like a bunch of champagne bottles as well as soda bottles and stuff. And I wasn't sure if the champagne bottles were going to work because they're such thick glass, but Honestly, I think those made the prettiest lit up art. It was pretty funny because I'd collected like about a dozen bottles 
<laughs> and then Sydney uh, let me know that she had an unlimited supplier in one of the bars there that's in town that was happy to give her some bottles. So between the two of us, I think we collected like 25 bottles, which was enough for everybody to paint at least one. So I think between the two of us, we collected like 25 bottles, you know, so that was more than enough for everybody to paint at least one. And the thing is that collecting them is way easier than removing the labels. And I know from canning, if I'm reusing a jar, I can just boil it, put it in the boiling water and the heat and the bubbles and all that, like scrub the label off really quickly. It just slips off. So I went to find a recipe to get the glue off of some of these bottles because I was like, oh, this is probably going to be a little bit harder than just, you know, your standard jar. And I found one that combined like vinegar and dish soap in a pot of water. But those bottles are really tall. They're not, it's not a jar. So I was either going to have to tilt them to get the entire label submerged in the water, which meant I was going to have to do that a dozen times or I was going to have to figure something else out. So I ended up lining my tub with all of these bottles and turning the water on super hot. I dumped this boiled vinegar and soapy water on top of them. And most of them, the labels came off. It was really um, interesting because all of the champagne bottles, like you just let them soak when the water's cool enough for you to reach in there and pull them out. Those labels just slide off. And the soda bottles did the same. Um, they weren't short soda bottles. They were like these fancy imported soda bottles, you know, so those were really cool glass bottles. But then there were the ones that had this glue on them that like you had to scrub and scrub and scrub. And I, I scrubbed with my nail until I, I literally have no thumbnail now. And they were still sticky, gummy, like, you know, like, bubble gum. I don't even know why you need that level of, you know, stickiness on a label. But we did eventually get them all cleaned up. And Gina and Sydney found some great glass paint that dries almost instantaneously. And it's supposed to be top shelf safe in a dishwasher. And they also got some great fairy lights to put in the bottle. So I'll put those links in the show notes. I'm not getting paid for any of it. But I really like this paint and these fairy lights were so cute. You know, we weren't sure how they were all going to look. We were hoping that it would be really cool. Everyone grabbed a bottle and just got to it. And I'm telling you, they all looked amazing. And the coolest thing was having like 25 bottles on the table that were lit up because we put strings even in the ones that didn't get painted. It was so enchanting and beautiful. I can't even tell you. Go on my Instagram. I did post a reel that had some of these lights in them. And it was just a really, really beautiful table. And then the other cool thing that we did was the Geminid showers are going right now. And they actually go for a really long time. They go from November 19th to December 24th. And the Geminid showers are meteor fall off from a blue asteroid that's called Phaethon. <laughs> P-H-A-E-T-H-O-N. It's like so Star Trekky, right? And they're called the Geminid showers because the shooting stars come from the constellation Gemini. And I had read somewhere that they were peaking on Wednesday night. Although 
I have recently read that they're going to peak on the 13th and the 14th of December, around which time I also plan to go and see them again. So there's still time. They haven't, or may, I don't know, maybe they peak a couple of times. I don't know. But you can still go out any weekend between now and Christmas basically, and hang out somewhere where it's really dark and see them. And we're really lucky because we have Gina's guidance. She's a retired astronomy educator. She worked for NASA and Arizona State University astronomy program in the past. And so if you want to talk about the sky and what's going on up there with anybody, it's Gina. And so the procedure to watch these shooting star or, you know, showers, these asteroid meteor showers, um, is that you want to dress really warmly because it always happens in the middle of the night, like at the most inconvenient time of the night, probably when you're in your REM sleep. So, you know, you will be disturbing that. Um, But you want to dress really warmly, have your hot chocolate ready and head out to a lightless destination. And then you're going to spread out your blanket, turn off every single light, take your watch off if it's got a light on it. Do not look at your phone because even that level of light will mess up your ability to see these showers. And then you let your eyes adjust to the dark for about an hour. So that means wherever you're going, you want to get there an hour before the shower peaks and it happened to be 2 a.m on wednesday but that can change so you have to go to an astronomy site it's not that hard to find them and it's also really helpful to have an astronomy app on your phone that allows you to find where these different constellations are and then that way you can orient yourself when you lay down on the ground so that you're looking in the right direction but then once Once you've got that hour of adjusting to the dark over with, you can lay on your back and just check out the show in the sky. So we were going to drive somewhere, but Gina thought, you know, it really is pretty dark in the back 40 of Sydney's yard. So she suggested that we just watch them from there because it's such a long period of time that we can watch them in and go somewhere that's really lightless. And the next day, so this was Wednesday night, the next day was Thanksgiving Day. And we didn't want to have to drive out an hour, let our eyes adjust for an hour and then drive back an hour and then have to start cooking for the next day and be up for conversation and all of that. So we thought, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And her suggestion was that since we only had to walk out the door and lay down, that we sleep until 2 a.m. and then just head outside and lay down without looking at any light. And to be honest, there was still a lot of light pollution, although like we had turned off all of the outdoor lights to make it easier for us to be in the dark. The street lights and then porch lights in the surrounding area, they still kind of glow up the sky, you know? You really do want to be like in the middle of nowhere, but it was still pretty dark back there. And so Sophia and I just laid down on towels that we had already set up outside. And I think probably one of the best things was that we thought it was going to be freezing cold out there. And it wasn't like it was pretty comfortable. And then we just waited for our eyes to adjust. And it wasn't really long before we could see the streaks and, you know, some of the bursts that were up there. And they they were faint, though. 
because like I said, the surrounding, they were dim lights, but they were still adding some light pollution. And also there was a cloud cover that was rolling in. So I think we got like 20 minutes. We got to see quite a bit. What I had read was that there were like 150 shooting stars per hour that you would be able to see. So if you divide that into 20 minutes, that's like 50, right? 50. And you know, I love the outdoors and I go hiking all the time. But as I was laying there feeling that grass crunch against my back, I can't remember the last time I just went outside and laid on the grass. And it was so pleasant to lay there in the cool, just looking up and counting stars that were streaking through the sky. I just, I totally plan to do that more often. And the really funny thing is that there was a small chicken coop. So there's the big giant chicken coop. I didn't realize that there was a second chicken coop there right next to where Gina had set up our towels. I had put them in the middle of the yard and she pulled them back closer to where our room was and just around the corner of this little fence because she thought that there would be less light interference there and she was right. And as I'm laying there in the dark, allowing my eyes to adjust, I could hear like a little animal bumping around. I wasn't really sure what it was. And I'm like, oh my God, if like something runs over the top of my face, I'm gonna scream. And it turned out that it was the chickens congregating on the other side of this fence to get closer to us. And I just think that is so interesting because they're like, it's like cats and dogs and all these other domesticated animals wanting to just kind of like pile up and get close to you. So I thought that was kind of cute. And you know, when the cloud cover came in and we couldn't see anything else, we just went back to sleep. On Friday, we stopped by Lake Casitas to catch up with my family, which includes my cousin Paul, who was in episode 21. So you should listen to that one. It's really great. We talk about all kinds of technology. He owns two tech companies. So he's got a lot to say about that. And it's it's a really good episode, episode number 21. The lake was incredible. It was such a beautiful day. And you know, I've spent so much time there since I was a kid. And I just had have these really great memories of it. I recall family reunions with all of the cousins and uncles and aunts. And it was so funny because we were all girls. All of the cousins of my generation were all girls. And I remember going down to the river along there. Um, I guess we probably had the reunion more like over at Casitas Springs area instead of like right next to the lake. And I remember along that riverbed, we found these palm-sized sandstones and somebody figured out that if you rubbed at it, you could kind of make a depression. And we all decided we were gonna make bowls. We were just gonna sit there on these boulders that were in the middle of that water flow with our feet in the water. And we're just all gonna make bowls in, I don't know, probably five minutes. And while we were doing this, our grandmother shows up and she's got like a bunch of watercress in her hand. She asked us if we'd seen any more because she was foraging watercress for the salad. And it's just such a fun memory because she was always foraging and taking clipping of plants and just had the greenest thumb. I mean, if she went for a walk along any stretch with plants, she'd get home and she'd dump her purse out and there would be like a zillion little sprigs of all kinds of plants that she wanted to propagate. And she would, I mean, it was the funniest and most charming thing. (laughs) It was so cute. 
And while we were standing there along the shore on Friday, I told my Aunt Judy about this time when I was in fifth grade. So my dad is her brother. And we'd gone camping at the lake, but my dad was huge into radio control airplanes at the time. So he just totally bypassed all of these beautiful sites near the lake. Back then, it just didn't get nearly as crowded as campsites do these days. So we're out there and we're like, what about this one? What about that? Oh my God, look at that one's great. And he's just going along and takes us all the way around to this part of the lake where there were hardly any trees and there was this parking lot there that he could use as a runway for his plane. (laughs) And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of shade and it was hot as hell. And then my mom calls us over and lets us know she forgot the suitcase. So we didn't have any clothes other than the clothes that was on our backs. But somehow she had remembered to pack her box of scarves and bandanas. I mean, she had like a bazillion of those. And she was a really talented seamstress. So she ended up tying them up and she turned them into tops and shorts for us for the weekends. And not that that made us kids any happier at the moment, you know, but in hindsight, that was a pretty handy and impressive skill. And I bet we actually looked really cute. Um, But that wasn't the extent of our bad luck. We got attacked by yellow jackets and then I had left my brand new case of 64 color crayons on the rear console of the car and as I said it was hot as hell and by the time we noticed they had all melted into this river of wax and um, that back console was pretty colorful for a long time anyway that was my weekend there and it it was not long enough And then we get home and the Sunday before we left, I had gone to the farmer's market because I wanted to get the green beans and everything, you know, whatever else I thought would be good in the charcuterie board or other ingredients that we needed. And so we come back and there's a fridge that's fuller of veggies than I had thought and they all needed to be used up. So I do this a lot. And if you are not somebody who has used chat GPT or if you're really wary about it. Um, There's a couple of things that I use it for. And it's one of them is to find recipes. And it's not going to give, I mean, it could give you the ingredients. And if you're a good cook, you know what's going to work and what's not. For the most part, you're getting good recipes from ChatGPT. But, you know, you should still check them just to make sure. Mostly, I'll say, give me some suggestions for these things. And I had stuff like broccoli and leeks and potatoes and bell pepper, beets, carrots, eggplants, celery, cucumber. It was just kind of stuff that didn't exactly all go together. And I didn't really think it was going to make like a great primavera or a great stir fry. So it came up with some really good recipe recommendations. So I take those recommendations and then I go find the recipes for it. So I ended up making a potato leek gratin which I can have a whole entire bowl of mashed potatoes only for dinner, and I'm happy. I love mashed potatoes. This potato leek gratin was better than mashed potatoes. It's just so amazing. Uh, Sophia made an eggplant and walnut white pasta sauce that we're going to have tonight. And she also made roasted honeyed carrots and beets. And then I made a mixed veggies quiche. And they all turned out 
incredible. And we were done with it like in under three hours. I know that sounds like a lot of time, but we were just in the kitchen dancing and talking and mixing things up. And she was making one thing and I was making another one. And before we knew it, you know, mixing the ingredients together went really quickly. It was the baking time because everything had different temperatures to bake at. And so yeah, now we have food for the rest of the week. And that was my Thanksgiving week. It's pretty good. I wish I could have another week, to be honest. I wish that I could stretch it out into two weeks, but um, I've got to be grateful for what I have. I'm super grateful for my family, super grateful for you listening to me. You know, I had read somewhere, gratitude helps you fall in love with the life that you already have or something like that. And I think it's true. So I'm really gonna make an effort. You know, I always learn something when I have these great experiences like I did last week. So I'm gonna make an effort, if I can't do it every day, at least once a week to stop and pay attention to the good things that are in my life. And really, not just that, but one of the things that I realize in spending time with my cousin, Sydney, is that she has purposely set out to build this community at her place, that she has set out to build this beauty and this serenity and this peacefulness and just a place where people can go and laugh and have a great time at her place. And I was just thinking about that. In fact, today I was looking at chicken coops. <laughs> Because I'm thinking, I love her chickens so much. And I have such a big yard that I would like to put a couple of chickens back there. But I know there's a lot that goes into it besides just getting the chicken coop. And we do have raccoons, which I know will go after the chickens. And we have hawks and all of that sort of thing. So I've got to think about it. But the point that I'm getting to here is that through her example, I'm going to definitely be much more purposeful about building an environment and a place where people can come and gather and laugh and connect and be grateful for life, you know. So I'm going to end with that. I hope that you enjoyed that. And so please check the show notes for selected links. And also keep sending me your questions and comments. I read all of them. If you have a fun or amazing story that you want to share, please drop me a line. I do love to hear these stories. The world needs more amazing stories. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches. And I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, community, gratitude, and beauty.